Well, sometimes, you know, as a preacher, you're in the middle of a series and something like Father's Day happens and you think, now, how, what do I do? Do I just put a pause? Uh, I already paused last week uh, by taking a Sunday off. Uh, but, you know, as I listened to the video the other day, I see that really it didn't pause at all. Pastor Steve just kept preaching faith, and that's awesome. I am going to speak today about uh, Father's Day, but I'm going to preach a message that is relevant to every woman in this house. It is relevant to every man in this house. It's relevant to every person in this house. And yet at the same time, I'm going to preach a Father's Day message. Okay, I find that the Word of God is so complete that it speaks to us on every level. Can I get an agreement? Amen. And so my message title this morning is called The Best Dad. The Best Dad. And I remember when shortly after I had gotten married, and I had determined that I was going to be the best dad. Um, I had reached 20 years old, and uh, in my mind I had made a mental list of all the things that my parents did wrong. And all the things I was going to do right. And I think every one of us, you know, we get to about 20 and we make a mental list like that. And uh, <clears throat> if nothing else, we have a mental list of all the things our parents did wrong. Then I realized that by the time every one of my kids had passed their 20-year mark of age, they too had their own mental lists of the 20 things their parents did wrong and the 20 things they would do right. And now at the very uh, mature, dapper, austere age of 62, I look back over my list, my mental list, and I decided to change the heading a little bit. Instead of the 20 things my parents did wrong and all the things I'm going to do right, I reworked the title, and it sounds like this. 20 things my parents might have been able to do differently, and 40 things I definitely messed up. We talk about Father's Day, and the very first thing that comes to my mind is what I wish I could redo or the things I wish I could do better. Of course, there are some awesome memories. My, my favorite thing is being able to spend time with my family. With the few days that I, I took off to have a bit of a break from all the notes I was writing in Bible school and, and all the lecturing, I approached my kids and I said, you know, I'd love it if Sunday afternoon, you could all come down for a couple of days. I purposely uh, planned my time away to be very, very nearby so it'd be possible. And to my great delight, uh, my family came down and we spent a couple of days together, which was awesome. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I remember being a young man and... Uh, being determined that I wanted to raise my children in such a way where they would not have any inferiority, no sense of rejection, 
where I would create such an environment of love that uh, there would be no wounds or hurts or disappointments anywhere in their lives. And then I came to realize that that was impossible. It's impossible partly because I don't have it all together. I might have the best of intentions, but I don't always execute the right way. In fact, sometimes I just execute it, if you know what I mean. We don't always execute the right way. But I also found out that sin has such a nature that it'll cause perspectives to be askewed sometimes. And so things aren't always seen the way they were intended. And so, without a question, uh, mistakes on my part, uh, and at times things that have been misunderstood, I've not always been the perfect dad. But there's one thing that I have learned to do, and I believe I've done it often, and that was to tell my kids how much I love them. At times I talk to my son, Robbie, who's the only one who's not close by. He's now living in New York and continuing his studies and um, <clears throat> I hate not having my kids around. And I will say to him, Robbie, I want you to know I really love you. And I think probably the best thing I ever hear uh, back is, Dad, if there's one thing you don't have to worry about, you have convinced us that you love us. And uh, that encourages me. And I think to myself, well, there you go. I see the evidence of love in my kids because the Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. And every year they still celebrate Father's Day and tell me what a, a great job I did. So I know love is in them because it covers a multitude of sins. You can say amen for yourself. I'll make sure that when you say amen, you're not saying amen about me. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> I, I wrote something down this morning, and uh, it's, it's, it's a little different than things I would normally write, but it, it seemed to just flow. And so I want to read this to you, and uh, just something that Hopefully came from the Holy Spirit, definitely came from my hand and my thoughts, but hopefully they were much inspired by the Holy Ghost. And before I read them, I want to say to all the women in this church, what I'm about to read applies to every man in this church. But women, just for a moment, as I start to read, and you hear the first paragraph or two, just hold any judgment and let me leave you with one scripture. The Bible says, love believes all things. Okay? So just hear me out. Here we go. So I, I, I start by saying I want to introduce all the men in this church to two women that you need to have a very strong relationship with. And the first is extremely well-known appreciated wherever she goes. Everyone wants her, and everyone loves her. In fact, she's the woman every guy needs, and she will quickly make you the perfect mate that every woman will want. 
The second woman is indispensable and quite unique. And while many aspire to her, very few ever really understand her. But if you can learn her ways, she will make you a man of great depth and maturity and make you stately. The first woman's name is Grace. And the second woman's name is Faith. Grace is the ability to see a lot and say a little. I'm going to say that again. Grace is the ability to see a lot and say a little. And faith is the ability to see what is not and intercede a lot. But I found that sometimes it was hard to go from a place of grace to a place of faith until Grace introduced me to her little sister, Joy. Joy would constantly quote James chapter 1 verse 2 until one day I decided to look it up and there it said, count it all joy. And joy taught me to look past all the huge problems and to see her in all the little successes. That helped me a lot to get a little closer to that place of faith. But at times, I was still struggling to take hold of faith. Then one day as I was talking with faith about how hard it was to get to her, I asked her to give me some tips. That's when she introduced me to her little sister called Hope. Faith explained to me that to get to faith, I had to understand hope. She often said hope is the breeding ground of faith. She constantly quoted Romans chapter 4 verse 18 to me. Against all hope, Abraham, the father of faith, in hope, believed. She told me I couldn't have faith for the things I wouldn't even allow myself to hope for. Faith taught me to fill my mind with hope so that I would empty my mind of fear. And when I was full of hope, hope would become the breeding ground for faith. So I started to empty my mind of every dark image and, uns and every unsavory lie of failure and defeat. And as I started to do that, I would get glimpses of hope. I would see her a little here and then a little there. And as I continued to take charge of my thoughts, I started to see hope everywhere until she became the best of friends. Finally, one day, when my heart was bursting with the fullness of joy and hope, to the point where everything looked so perfect and bright, I noticed that I was confidently standing side by side with faith. Then faith took my hand and said, Now close your eyes to everything you see through your natural eyes and walk with me. 
all the things you once hoped for, when all, as all the things you once hoped for become more real than the things you once saw, you will believe. And that's me, faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anybody who comes to him, to God, must believe that he is and must believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. How often we do not image God as a rewarder. I think if people were to be honest and we were to take a national poll, most people would see God as a judge. But the Bible says that we've got to believe that God is and believe that he is a rewarder. I mean, that completely changes the picture that most people have of God. In fact, if we would see God as essentially being a rewarder, a great giver, a, a, a one who's constantly patting us on the back with blessings and setting a banquet table in front of us, if we could see God in that light, we wouldn't even struggle to have faith. You see, the apostle, uh, the apostle, uh, King David wrote in the 23rd Psalm, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And as you read through that chapter, and especially as you get to the last part that is so often not read, this is what David says. This is how David visualized God. And I believe it's because of how his brain would imagine and uh, image God. It's why David had so much success. David said, even in the company of all of my enemies, this is what God will do. I mean, talk about literary excellence. This guy knew how to build a picture. David says, while all my enemies are out there with their swords and their armor, their helmets and their chariots, this is what I see. God sets a banquet table in front of me so that all my enemies could do is look and uh, be horrified as I dash into this banquet table of blessings and am refreshed and am encouraged and am blessed. You see, David developed a mindset, an image of God that spoke to him that even while he was walking in the valley of the shadow of death, even while demons of death were standing around, gloating and hoping to take him down, David's picture was that in the worst of the worst scenarios, God would set a banquet table and put delicacies on it and bless him and favor him and protect him and keep him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But I've also found that without grace and faith, joy and hope, it's impossible to have successful relationships. You see, as humans, we look for that perfect match. The person we'll never argue with. 
the person who just fits perfectly with us. And when you think about it, I want to stretch your thinking here for a moment. You know, we fall in love and we say, well, man, I really love this person. Do you know that that is actually the evidence of the least or lowest form of love? It doesn't take any effort to love somebody who just magically fits in with you, never disagrees with you, always agrees, says yes before you ask them to say yes, and they're always your best cheer squad. That doesn't take a lot of love. In fact, an imbecile could love someone like that. The deepest love. And the strongest love is the love that you and I have to work on. And the more sacrifice we make to love the person who's different than us, that's the greatest test of its authenticity, that it genuinely is the love of God. And so we live in a warped world. You know, Hollywood has concocted imageries on on the movies of love and finding your, your lobster. <laughs> they say lobsters made for life. Did you know that if a, a male lobster and a female lobster are in a dangerous place, and I learned this because I was on a fishing trawler in Australia one time, and the guy had lobster uh, traps. And if there is a male lobster and a female lobster in the cage, when he pulls it up, the male will always be dead and the female will be alive. And we asked him, why is that? Is the male actually more prone to stress? He says, no, the male will give up his life so that the, the potential enemy feeds on him and spares the female. Every woman saying, I want to find the lobster. <laughs> But we want to find that perfect mate. We want that perfect relationship. But honestly, the more perfectly they match us, while it might make life a heck of a lot easier. And please understand, I'm not preaching against that. If you've got that, kudos to you. That's awesome. But the truth of the matter is that the real test of love is how much sacrifice you'll make to maintain that love or to get, have love for those individuals. Look, as dads, it's Father's Day. And Father's Day, or just being a man, is about relationship. If you're just a male by gender, and you're not interacting and acting in relationships around you. You're just male by anatomy. But to be a man as God designed a man, even the lobster understands. It's willing to lay down its life and die. You see, relationship is so important to God. And honestly, everyone here, Everybody here. 
your greatest hurts are not from impersonal circumstances that happened. Your greatest hurts are from the betrayals of the people you thought were your closest friends. That alone, the depth of the greatest hurt, shows what the greatest expectation of real love is. To be a man, much less or much more a dad. To be a man is to be recreated in the image of God. God who so loved the world that while it was shouting at him, while it was screaming to defund his kingdom, while it was hurling abuse at him, yet he's the one loving us, reaching out to us, while we're screaming down with churches and down with religion, and we don't believe in God. God so loved the world that he became one of us. Like the lobster, he died. But he didn't just die for his soulmate. He died for every... What's the word I'm looking for? Every oddity, every personality, every twist and turn in our broken lives. He died for every one of us just as we are. And he chooses to love us where our weaknesses become the greatest burr in his side. But he chooses to love us. Look, I, I, I love the fact that my kids love me. And if they don't, they've at least convinced me they do. <laughs> but they show me tremendous respect. And I know they love me. And I know I haven't been a perfect dad. And I can honestly say I set out to be a perfect dad. I was absolute uh, in my resolution that I wanted to grow these kids up without a hurt. But we live in a world that's framed by sin. Once it was framed by God and there was no sin. It's going to get restored back to that. And everybody said, praise God, hallelujah, I can't wait. Jesus talks about in the restoration of all things. I'm looking forward to the restoration of all things. I'm, I mean, restoration of all things means it has to be restored back to something that originally was. And what originally was before we needed a restoration was Adam and Eve walking in the garden in the cool of the day and God walking on the earth with them. By the way, if you fast forward to Revelation 21 and 22, as he puts a close on the old order, he opens up a new order, and a Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, comes back down out of heaven, and I believe it'll be planted smack in the middle of the garden, where, where there were two cherubim with flaming swords keeping everyone out, just like the Holy of Holies has an Ark of the 
tabernacle with two cherubims sitting on either side of the mercy seat. I believe in the restoration of all things. That new Jerusalem is coming back down to a renewed earth, a remade earth, a refreshed earth, and God is going to live in the midst of us and we will live in the midst of him and it will be paradise. Amen. But from here to there, he gives us his son and his word to teach us how to do relationship. I'm still learning how to do relationship. And if I've practiced and not always gotten a hundred out of a hundred on you, Remember that woman I told you you need to meet? (laughs) Everyone loves her and everyone wants her. Her name is Grace. You see, how do we do relationship well? You will never do relationship well without grace. You, You just won't. It's impossible to do relationship well without grace. So I'm telling every man, this is a woman you need in your life. And her name is Grace. And whether you're a dad or a husband or a single man or just a teenage young man growing up in this church, you need to get to know Grace and embrace her because she can teach you a lot of things. Listen, I remember when I was young wanting to read articles about what woman found, women found attractive in a man, you know. And I attempted to go to the gym a couple of times And I realized, I guess I didn't want (laughs) to be that attractive. (laughs) I joined the sports team and, you know, that was okay for a while. But I wasn't willing to put in the kind of exhortation and effort that everybody else was putting in. But what makes us attractive to everyone is when grace trains us to see a lot but say a lot less. And when faith trains us to see things that are not, but in a seat, a lot. Amen. And to get to that place of great faith, I needed to understand joy. Because joy changed my disposition. Instead of being a grumpy old bear, (laughs) joy helped me to change my attitude so that I was going from glory to a baby step of glory to another baby step of glory. Joy is that, that attitude and that quality that comes from God's heart that stops us from being so down in the mouth, so negative, so full of self-pity, so just gloom and doom. We need to embrace joy in the midst of grace, and joy helps us see the good in the little things even while there's mountains of problems. And while we're trying to reach faith and we're beating ourselves up because we have not taken hold of faith, hope is a good intermediary place. It becomes the breeding ground for faith. Before I could walk in faith, I had to change my mindset. 
and learn to develop hopeful expectation. My mind used to constantly be filled with the pictures of the worst thing that could happen. And that's just how my mind worked. My mind would always see the end product of the thing I wanted the least. And I had to get to know hope so that my mind started taking baby steps to learn. When I looked at people and they irritated me and uh, (laughs) rubbed me up the wrong way, I had to look at them with grace and with hope and look for the little bits of good beyond the forest of bad. And as we do that, As we exercise those things, it's actually taking us closer and closer to the place of faith where we can believe for the impossible. And as I filled my imagination with joy, it gave me the stepping stone to start having some hope. And when I became familiar with hope, that hope was constantly in me, It was only an inch away, and I could embrace faith. Relationships. You need grace. You need the ability to have joy. Count it all joy. See the good, even if there's only a tiny little bit of good. Because if you never develop that ability, you will never be able to be happy And if you're never able to be happy, you'll never be able to have hope. And if you can never have hope, you will never get to the place of great faith. And faith is the thing that changes everything. Amen. Amen. As I close this morning, thank you. As I close this morning, I want to just quickly talk about the best dad. If there is, you know, I think the word of God is perfect. And it would be anathema, a curse, blasphemy to try to change anything in the word of God. But probably one of the best known parables in the New Testament, in the Gospels, is the parable of the prodigal son. And we often think of that parable, the prodigal son, and we see ourselves as having been that prodigal. But I'd like to change the name of that parable and call it the best dad. Because while we all know the parable of the prodigal son and we love the story because we see ourselves in it, We see our rebellion, we see our stubbornness, we see our sin, and we say, thank God. The dad is the hero of this story. And the dad is God. You see, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul writes and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. I think he, in the spirit of what he was writing, he was also saying, And love your family and love those around you as God has loved you. 
I look at the story of the parables, uh, the, prodigal, the, the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, while I can identify because of my own rebellion and my own sin, I'm glad that he loved me, and though I was the prodigal, I've become a son, but now I want to become the dad in the parable. Be ye therefore imitators of God. The best dad. Here's this dad, he gave his son all of his inheritance. Usually you only do that when you're dead. When the son asked his father for his share of the inheritance, equivocally, emotionally, it was like the son saying, Dad, would you drop dead so I could get what's mine? And the father could have easily have answered, Hey, I'm too busy being alive. That's still my money. And he would have been right. But here he is, he gives his best. And he gives his son what he wasn't entitled to yet. And he squanders it with all of his drunken buddies who only liked being with him because he had money. And when he didn't have money, they weren't there. But the father never held resentment in his heart. This is grace. Grace sees a lot but says very little. And we need to develop the ability, if we're going to have successful relationships, if you're going to point out every mistake that the per- people around you make, they will start doing the same back to you. And I can assure you it will quickly escalate into a war of words. And if anything, it'll get worse. Can I get an agreement? I said, can I get an agreement? You all just told me you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've all been there, right? We've all been in that place. And it escalates and it escalates and it escalates. And grace, the ability to see the flaws in others and say little. And faith, the ability to see what isn't but intercede and believe for what will be. Joy and hope. So I look at the parable of the prodigal son and I see this incredible dad that while his son was still afar off, the father runs to the son. Wow, I love that. How I love the fact that God runs to me. It makes me say, come on, Rob, you need to run to him a lot more. Uh, But God runs to us. He loves us. I think this preaches to both men and women alike. What do you think? It's about relationship. It's not just about fathers. It's not just about being a man. Being a man isn't a matter of what... It's not a matter of anatomy. It's a matter of being... Strong enough of character and strong enough of courage and strong enough of discipline to be bigger than the things that irritate you. And that's the beginning of grace. And you know what? Where there's grace, love's never very far away. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Well, 
As I conclude this morning, I wish every dad in the house a great, happy Father's Day. And let me say, you know, celebrating Mother's Day and Father's Day is awkward as a preacher because you are innately aware that not everyone had a good mother experience. And not everyone had a good father experience. And so while we uh, exhort men to be men like God, and while we expect uh, exhort dads to be dads like God, and we exhort men to love their wives as Christ loved the church, and we tell the women, hey, this applies to you too, it also applies to all of us that are sons or daughters. Because irrespective of what damage in relationship may have been done to us, it still takes grace. It still takes joy. It still takes hope. And it still takes faith if we're going to be the peacemakers that Jesus talked about. See, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be known as sons of God. And I think every time I read that scripture, I think there are several levels on which we can be known as sons of God. If we are peacemakers, people will see us as different than the common. They will see us as those who don't just follow the crowd. Okay? And uh, I remember reading in the news just recent that in the midst of these protests, some people who abused the genuine protests and started looting and burning. And uh, this young guy, only about 18 years old, I think he was, stood up and spoke out to everybody and said, come on, let's stop that. That's not what this is about. And I think that young man was a man. And he showed great courage and great personality. But I think it's important that as sons, and every one of us are sons or daughters to someone, and every one of us have a slate that's either filled with good memories, good memories and bad memories, or maybe all bad memories. But if we are going to be reborn into the image of God, then we must put on grace, we must put on uh, joy, we must put on hope, and we must put on faith so that those relationships that have hurt us the most, we become the peacemakers. So when I read the scripture, blessed are the peacemakers, they'll be known as sons of God. You can be known by your fellow man as being different because you're the peacemaker. But there's something even more important. Troublemakers start in the spirit world. Paul said, our wrestle's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers. So troublemakers, divisiveness, disunity, hate starts from the spirit world. And with a peacemaker, it'll end in the spirit world. Because... When you're a peacemaker, when you learn to make relationships work because of grace, because of joy, because of hope, because of faith, you keep putting out the fires that demons are trying to light. 
You want to have authority in the realm of the Spirit? Walk according to the Word of the Spirit. And the more you live the principles of God's Word, the more you put on the character of Jesus Christ, demons will get your number, they will know your name, and they'll understand that you are the genuine article. You know, seven young men, their dad was a, a priest, and they were trying to cast a demon out of somebody, and they said, we command you, we adjure you by the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches. And the demon turned around and said, let me see, Jesus we know, and Paul we know. Who the heck are you? And then the Bible says that that demon beat up the seven sons. What I find interesting is not that they knew the name of Jesus, they also knew the life and the character of the Apostle Paul. Amen. Blessed are the peacemakers. It's the person who's always speaking grace. It's the person who's always counting all things with joy and finding reasons to be excited and rejoice, always having hope and always having faith. That's the person who's always putting out the devil's fire. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be known among men and they shall be known amongst the demonic realm. These are the sons of God. Can I get an amen? Come on, let's stand and let's praise the Lord as we stand. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Every Mother's Day and every Father's Day is a call to every one of us to take on the Christian character and the virtues of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes with all of the character of God as well as all the power and gifts of God. Amen. Let's spend time with the Holy Ghost and let's go to Him in exchange to say, you know, Holy Spirit, I need a little bit more kindness. I need a little bit more patience. Can I swap that broken part of my life and take hold of that divine quality that is rightfully mine by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Now, Father, I pray that every one of us will take this message and not just let it be, okay, we got this Sunday out of the way, we heard another sermon. But that we will take the simple truths and build a magnificent palace with them. That we will take the truth of your word and build our lives so that we bring you much glory and much praise. I pray that across households in this congregation that there will be much festivity, that there will be love, that there will be celebration, that there will be warmth and affection. I pray that not only fathers but men will be men after the heart of God, and that women will be women in the very spirit and the nature of your heart. Father, I thank you, and I release that blessing in Jesus' name, and everyone says, Amen. Now, before we go any further, 
I mentioned quickly the prodigal. The prodigal is that kid who knew better and still did wrong. Every one of us were that prodigal at least at one time. Maybe you haven't come to that place of reconciliation yet. I never want to end a service without extending that opportunity for everyone to let the Spirit of God's grace touch your heart and extend to you that opportunity to come to Him. You know, I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come on up on the stage for a moment. And Pastor Steve, that second song you guys sang, I just, that's all right, Patrice, you could come right past me. You know, I don't want you to go all the way around. That's all right. That second song that we, uh, was it the second or third? It was really lifting. Second song? Yes, second song. If you could get the band to start singing that. Friends, I want to ask you honestly. I appreciate you coming here. But I want to know that I know that I know that your walk is right with God and that you know that you are born again. We're going to sing this song as a blessing as we close and leave. But every eye closed right now. How many folk here need to say, yes, I need to get right with God. I want Jesus Christ to come into my heart. While eyes are closed, would you just quickly, shamelessly, lift your hand, say, that's me. I want to I, I be right with God. I want to ask Jesus into my heart. Would you do that right now? Right across this room. Thank you, Father. Challenge number two. How many of you can be honest enough and say, I want to get to know grace a lot better. I want to get to know joy, hope, and faith a lot better. Would you raise your hand? Come on. How many of you want more of those? Absolutely. And Father, I want everyone to repeat after me. Father, I thank you for your great love. I thank you that you loved me more than I love myself. And you became flesh so that I could become born again. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my heart and coming into my life. I need you. And I receive you. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the fullness of God. And you are in me. And I step into the fullness of God's character. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that in you, all the depths of God's character are available to me and all the power of his spirit is available to me and by faith 
In Jesus' name, I clothe myself with the fullness of God. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.